Yes, you have a purpose for being here. There is a reason you took birth, you took form on planet Earth at this time in this year. And if you're courageous enough, you know, that can be discovered. That can be felt. That can be found. Will it require you to face yourself? Yes. Will it be easy? Probably not. Will you have to face your traumas? Probably so. That's Tim Corcoran. And this is episode 405 of Wellness Force Radio. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. How can we bring awareness and reverence to all the little mundane elements of our life and begin from that platform of sacred relationship to the self to begin to orient towards others in that same way? If you felt bad with the last millionth of a second, well, let go of the things that were making you feel bad that millionth of a second and be new right this millionth of a second. If you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. What goes through your mind when you hear the word CBD? Is it confusion? Is it clarity? Well, our partner Cured Nutrition has full clarity on 100% organically farmed cannabidiol. Say that like five times fast, cannabidiol, cannabidiol. (laughs) It's way more than just CBD. It can be quite confusing out there in the world with cannabidiol and CBD. I simplified it. I did the research for the past two years. I found Cured Nutrition. I interviewed Joe on the podcast. It's episode 300. This is all the parts of the plant. They use the entire plant. You get the rich terpenes, the healing compounds that allow you to sleep well and move well. And multiple scientific research studies are showing promise around cannabidiol for pain management, better digestion, and essentially amazing sleep by turning off your mind so you can rest. This full spectrum, 100% organically farmed hemp is grown in the sunshine rays of Colorado. I don't know if you've been to Colorado, but it's the perfect place to harvest powerful nutrients and plant medicine. That's really what this is. Medicine for your body and soul. I like to take the full dropper of the extra strength from Cured and put it under my tongue. I hold it for about a minute And I feel, me personally, this gives my digestion and my stomach this warm, calming, almost buzzing feeling. Give Cured a test drive. They support the show. They also support you with 15% off. Just use the code wellnessforce at wellnessforce.com forward slash cured and you get 15% off your organically farmed full spectrum hemp. The best on the market. I've tried almost all of them. This is the top of the food chain. Go to wellnessforce.com forward slash cured and use your code wellnessforce to get 15% off so you can sleep well, love yourself, and love your purchase. Welcome, you're here, you made it to Wellness Force, and today is a beautiful day. Look around. We are here, living out this journey of life together. I could not be more ecstatic to be speaking to you today because this is a monumental episode. One of the biggest bomb drop podcasts we're ever gonna do here on Wellness Force. This is the ultimate saga of my vision quest, with the one and only leader of PurposeMountain.com. We're going to discuss the rite of passage that has been stripped from both men and women in today's modern society and why it's so potent, so powerful for all of us to be a human being that is fully integrated here in this modern world filled with distractions. We need tools, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, mentally. We need all these tools, but what's missing is integration. If you yourself have been searching for your own purpose, maybe searching for your own unique life path, maybe you feel lost. 
Maybe you feel like what you're doing in life right now is not making you happy. You feel unfulfilled. This is the ultimate podcast for you. It's perfect timing because my guest today is the founder of Purpose Mountain, where he serves as a certified nature-based purpose guide to support people who hear the call from wild nature to discover their purpose. He also helps those with a burning desire to live their vision and willingness to work with the resistance and fears they have through the ecology of self and voice dialogue. Now, for those of you who don't know, I had the ultimate emotional intelligence and spiritual breakthrough of my life for my 41st birthday for 10 days in Northern Idaho, working with Tim and Mark and Alia and Hayden, which you're going to hear about on this podcast, seven brave souls, including myself. We spent a hundred hours in the blackness of forest and also the lightness of forest. There was beautiful sun out there, but a hundred hours water fasting alone in nature with no food, no flashlight, no fire, just jugs of water, a sleeping bag, and a tarp, no tent either. You might be thinking, why the hell would anyone spend a hundred hours water fasting alone in nature with nothing? Well, the answer is we have all become soft in this modern world, not just soft physically, but soft emotionally. And in order to build our grit and our emotional resilience so we can achieve congruence within ourselves, I felt the call from a previous podcast guest and friend, Aubrey Marcus, who introduced me to our guest today, Tim, and the rest is history. You'll see all the posts, all the information about how this cracked my heart wide open with multiple solo casts and pictures and videos all online. When you feel inspired from this podcast today, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash 405. You're going to find a treasure chest of how you can use the tools that I found to embark upon my own vision quest are the same ones you will as well. My guest today is Tim Corcoran, the founder of Purpose Mountain. And in this episode, we're going to explore what exactly a vision quest is. We'll talk about the work it takes to live your purpose, the beauty and the power in ceremony, the rites of passage for each stage of life, and the difference between ayahuasca and psychedelics and vision questing. Why I believe that a vision quest done right with someone like Tim is actually more potent, more transformational than any other ceremony. People that run from ceremony to ceremony, this is not the path. The path is actually to go inward and go grounded into Mother Earth, not be blasted continually into the five Ds in outer space. We'll explore how to honor our ancestral past and the difference between pain and suffering. Tim breaks down why suffering equals pain times resistance. Yet there is an easier path to learn from our pain, but there is no quick fix. I have a strong intuition that this episode will move you emotionally in a way that you haven't been moved in quite some time. So keep an open mind, stay connected to your breathing while you listen to this episode or while you watch this video with Tim and I here in the Wellness Force studio live on YouTube. We always give away things and do special promotions on YouTube. So make sure you're signed up for our YouTube channel. And if you feel the call, if you feel the deep magnetic pull to work with Tim on an upcoming vision quest, reach out to him. His contact information is in the blog post. Let him know you heard him here on Wellness Force. And lastly, do us a favor, share this podcast. Share this podcast with somebody that you know that's been struggling with their own personal vision, who's maybe gotten their ass knocked to the ground, knocked off the path, if that's even possible. We're always on the path. But maybe somebody who's been searching for purpose for years. This podcast will change their life. I have no doubt about that. All you have to do is share this podcast. Your act of generosity, whether it's five seconds or 30 seconds, has the power to change someone's life. That is the generosity that the universe will reflect back on you.
Now let's drop in with the one and only Tim Corcoran. Tim, welcome to Wellness Force. Great to be here, Josh. You traveled from Idaho. Uh You live in Idaho. The quest that we went on was so profound, man. Mm. Uh, If people don't know what a quest is, we're going to share a lot today. We have a lot of ground to cover. Sure. But if people don't know uh, anything about you, or if maybe they're just seeing your experience and you for the first time, um, not the deep story, but just the high level of Tim, share with us who is Tim and, and what is a quest? You can just start there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I live in a little town called Sandpoint, Idaho, which is all the way up north, close to Canada. Uh, on the edge of a big, beautiful mountain lake called Lake Ponderé between the Cabinet Mountains and the Selkirk Mountains. And I live there with my wife, Janine, and our two sons. And uh, we've been there for about 15 years. And up there, we run a wilderness school called Twin Eagles, as well as my personal coaching practice, uh, where I also offer Vision Quest, which, of course, you came to uh, Purpose Mountain. Yeah. And so a Vision Quest is probably one of the oldest ways... Um, known to mankind of connecting with our deep self and answering the, asking and answering the question, why am I here? Why was I born? Right? So in structure, um, it is a four-day ceremony, fasting alone in nature, um, really shedding all the possible distractions of what takes us away from our deep essence and revisiting that through our connection to the earth. Um, earning it every every moment, every step of the way. So there's no traditionally, you know, no psychedelics or um, entheogens involved, and it is truly a fast from everything. Uh, these days, we see most quest. Uh, the only thing you are in putting in your body would be water, but um, there are some uh, some versions that involve no water. Although that would be an advanced experience. Yeah, uh, for I can't today. even imagine that. Yeah. So it's it's so surreal, Tim. Yeah, sitting here with you in my home. <laughs> Uh, we were connected by a, by a brother, by a shared friend, Albert yes. Marcus, yeah. and and he doesn't necessarily connect me with a lot of people. Mm. So when we got connected, I was like, okay, I'm going to pay attention. Yeah. And we had some calls and you had this beautiful way, which I'm sure that uh, you do with almost everyone, or maybe you can give us some context. Mm-hmm. You, you asked me like, well, what do you actually want from the quest? There was this deep intake process. And right. for me, it was clear and present. It was, you know, my son, my, my lady is here in the home. And this is 39 weeks, 39.5 weeks that we're recording this podcast. Right. And I knew there was something in my soul that just wanted to clean out any residue yeah. of shared lineage, pain, projections from my father and grandfather. And it was just so beautiful the way that you took me in. And so how, how do you cultivate who's the right fit for a quest? Let's start there. Like right. who, who is the quest for and, and who is it not for? Yeah. 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 That's a great question. Um, well, there's this sense of a calling that can come forth, right? Like I remember, um, I remember being a young guy looking out into a a wilderness landscape. Maybe it was a a beautiful, uh, mountain landscape, or maybe it was the desert and that feeling of looking out and feeling like, wow, there is something mysterious and powerful and adventurous about that place out there that that's like, it's drawing me. I felt like like I was a magnet or something that was being drawn. So this sense of calling to the earth itself um, can be one one indicator that an individual is ready. Um, another indicator is that a person has this sense that, uh, what is it, right? It's this feeling of, I know there's more to my life 
and more to me than I am currently expressing in the world. I know I am more capable than I've previously expressed myself. And and there's a tension there, right? Like being in that tension and like I have to discover that and I have to live that. I know that I'm here for a reason and the great adventure of life is discovering and living that reason, right? So when that's present like that, that call from the earth or that call, I might call that the call from soul, right? Um, that's that that's call from soul is probably the biggest indicator of readiness. Call from soul doesn't always have words. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it could doesn't. be just a feeling, yeah, right? Absolutely. Uh, I remember I was, and I've said this quite a bit. So my audience is going to be like, yeah, we've already heard this, but gay Hendrix about six years ago on the show, he was like, you know, sometimes when the universe or when spirit wants to talk to you, it'll be like a little feather. Oh yeah. And then sometimes if you're not paying attention, it'll be like a jackhammer and just <laughs> yes. crush you. So, so voice from soul, like how would you describe that you personally and with your students? Like what is voice from soul? Well, that's a big question. And even to talk about soul is a paradox or in some ways we're trying to do the impossible. We're trying to point towards our very essence as a human being. And so it's soul by definition is beyond the realm of language. It's beyond words ability to capture. So the best we can do is kind of hint towards it, right? Or maybe use metaphors or even poems. Um, but what does my call from soul look like? Um, gosh, I mean, going all the way back, I did my, I'm 47. I did my first quest when I was 25, 26, um, 25. Cause it was the year 2000. And yeah, at that point, I mean, I had, like, I grew up in the Midwest and played by the rules, went to college actually for computer science, graduated from Purdue. I was always really bright. So I got good grades. That was always easy. That's one hell of a contrast. Oh, it's a huge contrast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, but the thought of uh, living my life in a cubicle for the next 60 years was I mean, literally soul crushing. And I couldn't, I mean, I remember being a kid, right? Do you remember this? Being so alive and life was so, every day was so novel and there was some new adventure. And then I would look around at the adults and I would feel like, well, I felt like they were all living in the matrix. That's what it felt like, right? We were just talking about yep. it before we started yep. recording. And I was like, is this what's waiting for me? Like, am I going to be one of those the, one of the mindless masses. And I was like, no way. And I saw that if I made those choices to sit in a cubicle for 60 years, like, yeah, that would happen. And so at 25, I was like, all right, I know there's a reason why I'm here. I don't know what it is. There's all kinds of things about the modern world that I'm not satisfied with that are clearly very degenerative in nature. And the real change, you know, needs to happen here. And I, I must have a part in that. Right. So, um, so that was kind of my calling and, and then reading about the, the quest for the first time and, and just the idea that as a human being, I have a vision. We all have a vision. We all have a purpose. And as I was saying, the great adventure of life is to go out and, and discover what that is and live that. Yeah. Um, that was profound for me. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'll do whatever it takes to find that. So, um, I've shared this before, but when I, when I approached my first, one of my early mentors about the quest, his first, he didn't know me from, from anybody else. And he, he got these questions a lot, you know, would, oh, would you put me up on the hill? Would you send me off on a vision quest? And so when I asked him that his first response was, well, not to you go to your sit spot every day for a year. Right. And a sit spot, what is that? Just a little place in nature that you adopt and make your own and, and just go visit. 
And I was like, okay, little did I know that he's had probably said that to hundreds of people. Sure. And very, very few, you know, would have followed up on that. It weeds out the people that aren't truly calls. That maybe just want the novelty, but don't exactly. feel the soul's voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I did. I mean, that was my preparation, if you will. And then after that year, like, whew, yeah, I was ready. You know, mm. I was ready. Yeah. One thing I've heard you say, and, and I think you might've even mentioned it during the quest. And that was like, you, when you get your purpose, when you understand what your purpose is, that could potentially be the easy part, living oh, yeah. it, living yeah. your purpose sacrificing and, and working on your purpose every day, almost like your purpose is a huge oak tree. And every day yes. you're swinging the ax, chopping down that purpose. Um, living your purpose can be so different. Can you contrast that? Because yeah. I think a lot of people are like scrounging for their purpose right. and they're really white knuckling trying to find it. And I feel like that's preparation for when they do find it, the yeah. work that they would actually have to execute. Absolutely. And let me back up and say, I don't require people to go to their sit spot every day for a year prior to doing a quest. Okay. So for our listeners out there- They can sign up. They don't have to yes, do a year prep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not that that would be a bad idea. Sure. Um, sure. But we do incorporate a certain amount of preparation, which is maybe a month or so, right? Um, yeah. So then the oak tree metaphor, I would switch the metaphor, Josh. I would say the metaphor is more like when we discover our purpose, it's like we find the acorn. And we cultivate the soil and we plant that acorn. Maybe during those, you know, I mean, I, I, as, as said, you know, we, I, I run them as a 10-day event. Maybe during those 10 days, we see the first sprout come out, right? And so the great journey of life then becomes living one's vision, living one's purpose is the process of growing that and seeing it go from the sprout to the mighty oak, you know, that is home to all manner of birds and animals and insects and yeah. its whole own ecology. Um, but yeah, you know, um, it's a big process to prepare and uh, enact and integrate a quest. But in the big scheme of things, you know, I mean, yeah, that can be done in a few months' time. Maybe in the full picture, we, we say a year, right, from the from the date of the of the actual quest yeah. until the full integration has taken place. Um, but we're talking about a vision for one's life, right? Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Mm -hmm. And so I hold the quest as the quintessential, um, most sacred of ceremonies that a human being could enact for themselves because it literally um, brings us into a felt connection with our essence as human beings, can show us a map for our path forward. And, you know, that is... I mean, when I did mine at 25, right? Like I saw I was going to get married. I saw I was going to have kids. I saw I was going to start a wilderness school. I saw I would eventually support people on their healing journey and their journey to discover vision. And I'm still today, you know, 22 years later, living out, you know, working on fulfilling that vision that came to me on that first quest over two decades ago. So, yeah, it's a way bigger, and I still will be the next 50 years, hopefully, yeah. right? I think um, so. Yeah. We have some good medical technology that is yes. going to support us and supplements, <laughs> and you're healthy. So I was feeling when you were speaking, like so many people are called to different kinds of ceremonies in life. Yeah. And for me, my experience was this at 41, I, I, for people that don't know, I went to Idaho to be led by you and Alia and Hayden and Mark just such a profound team. I mean, you guys had such beautiful synergy. Yeah. And like you had said, every quest is different. Like 
-hmm. Your group will be different. Your guides will have different energy based on the level of development and consciousness we have. But for me, I went out there because it was my birthday and I had some residue to clean. Yes. So do people have uh, anxiety, depression, um, relationship problems? Like from 20 plus years of this, Tim, you've seen the mm -hmm. gamut. Oh, yeah. what kind of men and women are called to this mm -hmm. um, from an, an, from an emotional intelligence perspective, like what are people really struggling with mm -hmm. that, that pushes them to the quest or really a better word that pulls them to the quest, <clears throat> like that magnet you were talking about? Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting question. And it has, we kind of have to back up and look at our culture at large, right? The, the classic modern calling might look like someone oftentimes uh, maybe midlife, right? Thirties, forties, who have who has you know achieved a certain level of success in what we sometimes call the the first adulthood, meaning they grew up, they found their way in the world, they found a job, they found a, a path for themselves to, yeah. to make it, you know, to experience independence from their family, from their parents, and that's a good and wholesome thing to do. But then they hit a point of like, wow, this isn't working anymore. Now maybe they heard soul when soul was just whispering, as we were talking about a little a little while ago. Yeah. And they, they got on the proactive side of it. Maybe not. You know, these days, you, we're, we don't live in a world that, in a culture that supports soul, right? We don't live in a culture that holds nature and soul at the center, unlike the realm of our ancestors, the worlds of our ancestors. So oftentimes, for modern folks, soul has got to knock pretty dang loud or, or be that sledgehammer yeah. to get people's attention. So yeah. oftentimes, it looks pretty tough. Divorce a failing job, an intense sense of, wow, what the hell am I doing with my life? And am I really going to die and have not discovered who I am? You know, and that tends to awaken in a very strong way for people in their 40s. We know this developmentally speaking. So oftentimes we see that. But in my own story, as you, as you heard, that wasn't the case. My life wasn't falling apart when I was 25. I was just finding my way. So while I didn't even realize it at the time, I was super blessed to have, I don't know, a certain level of sensitivity to my calling in life. Yeah. Um, why, why, was that, why did I feel that so strong when I was 25, when all my peers were going off and <laughs> starting their first adulthood? I was kind of jumping ahead. And, and not to say that that didn't come without problems, because it did. You know, I didn't receive the benefit of all that foundational work, but I did get on a conscious path with my vision very early on. So it can look a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, the other perspective is that uh, when we look at place-based culture, right? And this is a whole conversation to be had, but one of one of your fellow participants, I, I'm thinking of Oscar. Sure. Right? At 19. 19 years. I was so right? inspired by this dude. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine at 19 oh my God. doing a vision quest? Right. Well, that oh. well, well, this is so we get into age and stage, you know. Yeah. Like ideally, if if we're all in line with our own developmental process, in connection with the earth, in a culture where there's mentors present. Um, our developmental process matches our age, right? So traditionally, that would have been the time. Yeah, when you first step into adulthood, sure. 18, 19, you know, thereabouts, maybe early 20s, maybe a little earlier, maybe 16, 17, you would naturally go after your vision like that. That makes sense. That doesn't happen so much these days because of our degenerative cultural paradigm. Um, but for Oscar, right, he's a guy who I mentored at my wilderness school since he was six, so I had 13 years of mentoring experience in with him. 
and took him through a rite of passage when he was 13, formally marking leaving behind childhood, entering into becoming a young adult. And then, of course, as you know, this vision quest served as, as not just a quest, but also a rite of passage for him out of adolescence, out of being a young man and formally marking his entry into adulthood, into the realm of man, right? And we were very consciously marking that. So that's a whole nother one that when, when we have a community that, that we have where we're enacting cultural restoration and bringing these pieces back together, we see that young people align, their age aligns with their stage of development. And, and that calling you know, is very, very different in, say, his personal experience compared to someone uh, who's just entering into this for the first time. Well, Tim, a lot of people in their 30s and 40s, unfortunately, um, never had any oh, yeah. rite of passage or really yeah. any connection to nature or to teachings or to facilitators like you to even know what that means. Right. Right. So, so many people are walking around and, and we were talking about King Warrior Magician Lover yeah. uh, before we hit the record button. And I'm just fascinated by the way that we are all seeking that kind of teaching now. Maybe it's not conscious for everyone. Maybe it's on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. And I can speak specifically, you know, as a man for men, of course, this applies to women as well. Sure. But from my perspective, from, from where I see it, I never had, when I look back, any kind of threshold um, support right. where I would move on from boyhood to being a man, yep. you know, football, I played football in high school. Sure. Right. And I think a lot of us feel like, um, whenever we do hard stuff, that means that somehow we're growing stronger and, and, and there's some truth to that, yep. but not total truth because right. there is a ceremonial and a spiritual aspect to truly crossing that, that chasm mm-hmm. between boy and man. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about that? Cause this is the part Absolutely. in our society, like huge. you said, in yep. our place-based society. So yes. dude, contrast place-based and also the right. ceremonial aspect of the threshold. Right. Well, so you were saying it's ceremonial, it's spiritual, and it's also community-based. So what is a rite of passage? I mean, there's that terminology is, is used a lot. And in my perspective, it's misused a lot. I hold a rite of passage as a subset, a type of initiation that formally marks the transition from one major life phase to the next. So there's only so many life phases we go through as humans. We're talking birth, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, maybe becoming a parent, um, becoming an elder, and death. Like that's less than 10. Sure. Right? So a rite of passage would be a formal community ceremonial initiation to mark, formally mark that in community where you're witnessed, you're seen by your, you go off, you know, you, you separate from your normal role, you have your ordeal, your threshold moment, and you return in the new role. And you're seen by community, right? The rite of passage is as much for oneself as it is for the community, because you're going to bring to discover gifts that you're going to then give and share with community. So it's absolutely um, an essential part. And in place-based communities where human beings live committed to one place, one physical place, then by definition, those people are also committed to one another. You have a conflict with somebody, you can't run away from it. <laughs> yeah. You're going you're gonna to have to face that. That's why in Hawaii, there's so much of the, the localism because yes. they're on an island. Yes. So you can't go and flip off your neighbor because right. you're going to have to pay for it at right. some point. Or you can, but the, the, consequences, the consequences will be different. Are big. Yeah. yeah. The other piece is, think about it. When we commit to a place, um, then we develop a deeper relationship with it. 
And if it's getting destroyed, we feel that all the more because we've been there like our whole life. Yeah. Right. And so uh, I think it was Yes Magazine did a great article on this. They were talking about, um, you know, climate change and the destruction of our, our planet. And they said one of the greatest things we can do to save our planet is actually commit to one place. Right. And I understand it. Like that's not going to be for everybody. Sometimes your job changes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that said, what happens when we do? You know, what happens when we do? So, yeah, it's a huge discussion. Place based culture, um, which is a tr- traditional earth based approach to life versus the modern experience that's so capitalist in nature. And exactly that one's job would change and then, I w- and then one would have to move. Like that would never happen in a place based culture. Um, you would discover your role from an early age and be supported in the uh, in the living of that. And if you evolve, which of course we all do, then the culture would hold that and you would find a new role within the culture. Were there cases of maybe a small percentage of people moving, you know, one place from there? Sure. You know, it's not like it was rigid. Yeah. But on the whole, we're talking 90 plus percent of people maintaining that connection to one place, to the same tribe, to the same people over eons over thousands maybe tens of thousands of years and the ceremonies and the songs and the language all emerging of that place from that place you know these days we see a lot of um localization efforts we talk about local food and we talk about local this and local that and really what i'm holding a vision for josh is a relocalization of our spirituality what happens when we are we do recommit to place and our spiritual ceremonies and practices emerge very locally from that place. You know, what are the ceremonies of the hill country here, sure. Austin, Texas, and how are those different from uh, the inland Northwest mountains and lakes where I live? Right. I, I would imagine years from now when people are returned back to connection with the earth, that those ceremonies will reemerge as well. We just had a ceremony here that, that really, I haven't told you this yet. So it's perfect uh, timing. Okay. We had our baby blessing for, for Nova. And we sung a song that we sung in the sweat lodge. Mm. And that song was Peace Like a River. And the whole room was singing. And, and Kyle Kingsbury, who's a friend of ours, oh, he yeah. came to me afterwards. And he's like, brother, I haven't sang like that ever. And I was like, how wow. is that possible right. that, that Kyle Kingsbury has not sung like that? Even with the whole fit for service and all they're doing, it's so easy for us to become uh, victims of intellectualization in this world. Yeah, where Big we, one. you know, we we go do the the trainings and the twenty x, and we go do the athletics and all these things, but singing and prayer and sitting around the fire, these are arts that are are slowly decaying. And I feel like with your work, you know, since we're talking about the place based culture, man, how do we practically put that in place other than someone having the courage? To just be like, hey guys, we're actually going to get together and we're going to sing right now yeah. because there is medicine in that. There is so yes. much potent medicine in singing. I just interviewed Dr. Michael Ruscio and he was saying for people with sleep apnea, Ugh. they know that when they play the didgeridoo or when they sing, their sleep apnea gets better. Wow. Who would have thought that, right. mo- that Mother right. Nature gives us these, these beautiful, natural, easy things to do? That our that our current society is literally programming out of us. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, <clears throat> songs, right? When 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 we when we look at um, a, a good portion of my adult life, Josh has been focused on learning as much as I can from indigenous cultures, right? And that's a huge 
there's a huge amount of respect there, right? Um, I'm not talking about books or I don't know, um, YouTube videos or something, right? I mean, I've p- went to great effort to befriend personally um, indigenous peoples and and go to them, seek them out, right? And humbly learn what I can. Not to, you know, um, take the ceremonies and bring them back, but to because I know in my heart that there are pieces of traditional culture still alive and present today, 2021, that have something to teach us, yeah. those living in the modern experience, mm-hmm. which is which is who I am. I'm, I grew up in the in, in Indiana in the 80s, you know, like um, I'm a white guy and I didn't grow up in, a, in an indigenous culture. And yet I see that there is so much that has to offer us. So one of, uh, one of the things I look for are common cultural points. Like, okay, if we look at earth-based cultures worldwide, throughout history, what are the cultural elements they had in place and how can we begin to use those in a respectful way in our, in our culture? So song is a huge one, mm. right? What happens when we're together with a small group or maybe a big group and we hear the shared resonance of our voice, we, we feel our unity, not as some intellectual you yeah. know, possibility, but in our bodies yeah, and yeah. feel those sound waves moving and feel our voice as one. Um, one of my mentors from years ago, it was uh, Gilbert Walking Bull, a traditional Oglala Lakota holy man, said that as human beings, uh, the only way we can achieve and actually experience experience true power is through unity. You know, it's it's not something that can be experienced on one's own. It mm. is only through coming together around a shared vision that we will experience that. So when we look at these cultural points, things like um, coming together around song, coming together around, yes, birth ceremonies, blessing ceremonies for your children. I had those for both of my sons, River and Forest. The whole room was crying, too. Oh, my God. Totally right. I mean, grown adults. <laughs> and, and something just, I'll, I'll let you go here, but like no, no, something ahead, that yeah. also hit everyone's nervous system is I was looking around the room, and right when I sat down for us to sing, I looked at Carrie, and I just started crying. Then she starts crying. And back in the day, I would have judged the shit out of myself. Mm. I, with my old programming before the quest and even the seven years and all the training I've done to get to you, I would have looked at myself and I'd be like, hold it together, brother. Right. Hold it together. Why are you crying? What are you doing? But that unlocked the entire room. Yes. I looked at the yes. faces of everyone. And when I started crying, she started crying. Then a, my, one of my buddies starts crying. And then all the women are crying. Dominoes. Yeah. And it's like th- there's actually in the salt water that we cry. Yes. There is so much medicine and there is so much healing that happens. And that's really the genuine aspect of song that that you focus on so much in the quest. So I'll let you continue. But I had to say that because it was actually the, the tears and the song that unlocked the entire room. Yeah. And that allowed for greater connections and things that we can't even imagine if we're just willing to go into the fire of our own discomfort and really face our own programming, yes. which is don't be a pussy, suck it up, don't cry in front oh, of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's fascinating the ways that, that we absorb this programming. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like the quest is a really great unprogrammer or an unlearner yes. really in a big way. Well, part of the process, I mean, you were talking earlier about emotional intelligence, right? And I think part of what we're seeing these days for those of us on the evolutionary path, the visionary path is redefining what it is to be uh, a man, right? And so this idea of masculine emotional maturity that yes, as men, we have feelings. Of course, we're human beings. We always did, you know? 
And so what is that? Uh, I mean, I define masculine emotional maturity in, in a very simple way. It's the ability to be aware of, accept, and express the full range of emotions that we have in a healthy way, mm. right? Be aware of, accept, and express our emotions in a healthy way. And generally stated, we could say that's a, a reasonable definition for emotional intelligence in general sure. for all genders. It sounds really, I mean, it's very succinct. I think everybody can understand. A 10-year-old yeah. can understand what you yeah. just said. Yeah, absolutely. So your, your example of the, the blessing ceremony for, the, for Nova, the, the baby coming, yeah. um, you opened up. You took that risk of because it's hard, right? We we still have that programming, even if we've consciously removed it. Um, it's still we still it's still the water we're swimming in, right? And the shadows and, and of all that still exists. So it's still hard. It's still hard for me to open up and cry, and yet I know it's it's good. I know it's good for me on so many levels. So when you did that, yes, what happens? It gives everyone else permission energetically. Yeah. Everyone's the, the mirror neurons start firing. And everyone's like, oh my God, yes, this is a, such a sacred, precious moment. Yeah. And, and then we f- you feel your, the shared vulnerability. We feel our humanness. My God, you struggle too. Yeah, I do too. You know, and here we are in this moment. Um, you feel that depth of joy. Yes, I do too. Here we are in this shared moment. Right? We t- I think about uh, quality of connection, human connection versus quantity, right? And that old... Thing we've all probably experienced of the neighbor that we've lived by for 10 years who we've never connected with, even though we're sure. right by him or her every day. And then the friend we connect with once or twice and like, oh my God, we totally open up and this deep quality of connection unfolds. And we, and we feel so much more connected to that person we've only seen once or twice compared to the neighbor who we've seen for 10 years, right? So this quality of connection. Um. You know, also what you make me think of is um, with your your baby coming is this really what what you're enacting. What I'm hearing is a certain rite of passage for yourselves as parents, right? Sure. Consciously acknowledging in community that your role is about to change. And also what that includes is the spiritual welcoming of life. You know, by coming together in that way, opening your hearts and your spirits, you are calling in the spirit of that child and saying, okay, the time is now, or we're getting very close now. You have a place. You are welcome here. I had a, a mentor years ago, um, an Anishinaabe uh, Odawa uh, peacemaker, uh, who, who talked about the, the welcoming of life ceremony as the original rite of passage, Right. People hear that term and they oftentimes think of just the the, trend, the, the adolescent transition because that's when it's used. But again, rite of passage, right? Any uh, formal initiation marking yes. the transition between life phases. So the first one then would be the welcoming of life. And he talked about that and said, you know, what are the consequences for me as an individual for receiving or not receiving a, a welcoming of my spirit when I was born? Like maybe so many of the problems I have are actually a result of my spirit still trying to catch up with me from birth itself. And what gift are we giving our children when we come back to that, when we slow down, when we take courage, open our hearts, bring our people together and welcome that spirit in? You know, like I will never forget him saying that. And that's like a haunting question. Like I almost hate to even voice it because it's like, good God, the I can't go back and re-undo that. You know, I can't. I mean, in a way, we can make up for it, right? Like, we can catch up, but, but there's no 
changing the fact that like for me that didn't happen right i was born in a hospital and didn't feel the the warmth of my mother or father's skin for the first 6 hours of my life mm-hmm. that has an impact you know that has an impact compared to a natural birth where the child is brought in and the ceremonies are done right so big stuff here oh my gosh when we get big back stuff. to the it's so funny because in the it's actually not funny it's perfect with you because i felt a resonance with you right when i got on the phone with you and then especially the way that you led me through the quest it's it's hard for me to be led because <laughs> yeah. i'm a yeah. leader and i lead people so for like sure. so there was there's a certain quality to there's a richness to the way that you guide people. And in my experience, it only comes from somebody that has experience, like experiential learning. One thing you said is spirit talks in synchronicities, signs, and, and one other thing. Synchronicities, yeah. signs, and there was one other piece. Yeah, right? Symbols, omens, dreams, symbols, a, omens, a few and others. Yeah. I had no idea you were going to talk about the healing medicine of song and how it, it brings unity. And I'm wearing a shirt today that says unity. Yes. <laughs> right. So there. so here's a synchro- here's a synchronistic moment. Yes that's coming here with you. And it's these little breadcrumbs, Tim, Yeah, that always give me evidence that I'm on the right path. Yeah, And that's something that like, you really have to train yourself to look for because we can become victims of, like I mentioned, our intellectual mind where we're only going to feel safe when our external environment provides us the evidence that we're safe, like enough money in the bank or, you know, a, Good cer- luck with that a certain <laughs> level of health or we, we have our society, our, yeah. our whole society is built to not just disconnect us from self, but also to harvest us, whether it's social media and our clicks, whether it's uh, the way that we feel like we need to compete with neighbors, who's got the better truck, who's got the better boat. Can you unravel and unpack some of these aspects of our current society that, that disconnect us from the self? And then, then we can open up and talk about the healing of the quest. Mm, because really the, yeah. the, the pre-frame is the reason why people are driven to quest is because they feel disconnected from self in some way. Mm-hmm. And our society is built to completely fucking disconnect us from self right. all the time in subtle ways that we couldn't even imagine unless we presence right. them and, and we're aware of them. Well, and what I would add to that, Josh, is that the reason people are drawn to Quest is because they feel disconnection from self and disconnection from the earth and disconnection from soul, mystery, which some people, maybe that's included in the term. There's a lot of disconnect. Self, right, yeah. Yes, uh, oh my gosh, it's a huge, huge question. We got time, Tim. <laughs> yeah. So, well, enter the matrix, right? Yes. <laughs> and enter the matrix. Um, oh my gosh, I mean, it's so big. So, one of the first things I, I say when we when I bring a group together, you know, for a quest, and you might remember this, Josh, is that the big lie uh, that the narrative of the mainstream culture is holding the big lie is that we're separate from nature. You know, that you and I sitting here, these cameras, these chairs, this room, these lights, that this is all somehow not nature, right? That I am somehow, and you are somehow not nature. Like, what are you talking about? What is nature? Nature is life. Nature is this entire earth, this entire experience we're having. Tell me one thing that's not nature. You know, like you can't. Uh, you can get the most man-made object, whatever. Yeah. It comes from this earth. It, did, it didn't come from Mars. And even if it did, that too would still be nature. <laughs> yes. Right? So we, But it's the story that we hold. We hold, I'm different from nature. I'm different from the trees out there, qualitatively, you know, at, at a core level. I'm somehow different. And, and I've got to make this journey back. Like, it's so funny. People come to me all the time and they're like, 
oh, Tim, I can't wait to you know, do this program or this retreat or this quest, whatnot with you because I, I need to get back to nature. Mm. You know, I hear that so often. And I just kind of chuckle. I'm like, are you kidding me? You are nature. You know, and what happens when we take on that mindset and realize I am as wild as any mountain, any maple, any moose, you know, I have that wildness in me. And that is a core part of my essence. So when we go and we immerse in a ceremony like the quest, we immerse ourselves in wild nature. And that reminds us, you know, we, we find our nature when we immerse ourselves in nature, right? And so back to your question of, the, all the modern programming, <clears throat> you know, it, it's like the way I look at it, if, if we send our minds back many, many hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago, we all had ancestors who lived close to this earth. That was the origin of human species. We evolved on this earth. I mean, of course. And so we have this, it's in our DNA, this connection to the, to the natural world. And it's only, what, the past few hundred thousand years, depending on how you want to look at it, whether it's the advent of the information society or the advent of academia or the advent of maybe agriculture. It feels like it's the internet that is the internet driving that narrative. These days, for Computers, sure. internet. Big time. Yeah. But we've only, it's like we're in an experiment as, as a human species. <laughs> and like we, are. we have, we've disconnected ourselves from nature. In, in mind and, and we built these houses and we built these, you know, cars that <laughs> zip us around. And as one of my elders used to say, you know, a, a person can go, can wake up in the morning on the 14th floor of a, of a high rise in New York City and take the elevator down and walk on the sidewalk and get in their car and go to another building and go up and the whole, the, that, those whole 24 hours, their feet never touch the earth, you know, and what happens to us as human beings when we when we do physically disconnect ourselves from the earth in its wildness and ourselves from our wildness, you know, then we start getting sick in body. We start losing our wellness, right? We, our minds start to struggle. And now we have all kinds of weird mental uh, issues, that, that, uh, mental health issues that we never had before. Emotionally, we cut ourselves off. Spiritually, we cut ourselves off. And then we wonder why we struggle. You know, we wonder why we struggle. Uh, and, and yeah, each year, my God, the machine just picks up more and more pace and mm. more and more technology and, and we're being <laughs> patterned by, oh my God. I mean, cell phones, like, oh my God, right? Smartphones. Like I didn't grow up with smartphones. You know, these days we're addicted to those things and the dopamine hit upon every Facebook like and every email that pops in. Oh my God, I, I got to have that. But it's like, there's a great void in our hearts, right? A great void that came about when we first left our natural roots. And the whole time we've been looking to fill that. And so how do we fill it? You know, give me that better car. Give me that better yeah. you know, job. Give me that better this, that, or the other. And it can never fill us up. You know, there's a quote I like, which says, we can never get enough of what we truly don't need. We can never get enough of what we truly don't need. So what is the antidote, antidote to desire connection, right? And that's what you experienced on the quest. That's what people experience. Mm -hmm. You come out and in an unassisted way, you earn every ounce of it. Like we spoke about, you make that connection to the earth. You make that connection to mystery on mystery's terms. You make that connection to your deep self in a very natural, organic ma manner. And that hole that we fill up with 
so many freaking crazy distractions and addictions is suddenly, maybe for the first time, actually filled up. Mm. You know, and we feel that sense of belonging. There's a there's a wholeness and a and a completeness that that I felt that was more profound yeah. than any ayahuasca or mushroom or even some of the deeper catharsis breath work that I've done. Mm-hmm. And the only way I could describe it is and I'll and I'll just point out one quick moment from the quest that was profound for me. When I came down, and we'll talk a little bit more about the the functioning parts of the quest, but but this one's true for what you're talking about. And that is when I came down the hill, it was still dark. I, I didn't know I was the first one, but I just was sitting out there, you know, after 96 hours. I actually did the math. It's about a hundred hours. It's, it's yeah, a long period of yeah. time. So I'm sitting there and I'm just listening to the birds kind of chirp. I'm sitting in the blackness. I mean, it was dark. Mm-hmm. And I just see like this tiny line on the horizon. And I just felt, okay, it's time to go. And so, but I couldn't really see. So I was just trusting. I'm like, I'll make it back. But I was doing what you and and Mark told us. And that was the fox walk, this mm-hmm. slower, natural gait of, mm-hmm. of how we're designed. And I got to the threshold and I think you were trying to bless me or, or cleanse me from the mountain. And I just came in for a huge <laughs> hug. And Never I, forget it. And when I hugged you, yeah. um, it was like, it was like I was actually home. You know, it was like I was actually home. And when we sat down by the fire, I turned to you and I said, you know, this is the first time in my entire life where I had been seeking in ayahuasca ceremonies. I had been seeking for this wholeness, this completeness, this, this really peace for so long. And I realized, ah, I had to go through getting my ass kicked in an ayahuasca ceremony. I had to go through the constant scrapping for peace so that I could really understand what this medicine was about. And this medicine was the only medicine that I'd ever received that actually grounded me into the earth, which is what my nervous system needed. My little boy inside, which we all have, right? No matter how evolved you are, connection to our young man is pivotal. And so for me, my young man didn't want me to blast up into the stratosphere right. with ayahuasca and all these things. And, and those have a time and a place, mm-hmm. but it was so profound. And I had just this like outpouring of joy. I remember I kept laughing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I kept laughing and, and there was just so much wholeness and completeness and, and yeah. love present there. And I can feel it with you right now. Yeah. It's been a month, but I can still feel it with you. And it's what I brought back home. Yeah. And that's what I want to share for everyone who is seeking. Um, The quest may not be something that you want to sprint to, but a lot of people, they sprint to different ceremonies when it comes to psychedelics. And so this is a pivotal part. I mean, there's so many threads that connect to all of our conversation so far, but where we are now is like this moment that I shared with you that no amount of money could get me that moment. I had to earn it. And I had to earn it by going through all the contrast of like having my psyche split and having 18 months of healing happen from me using my egoic mind saying, well, if I'm going to do one ayahuasca ceremony, I'm going to do four. (laughs) I'm going to do four (laughs) ceremonies and that'll get me, that'll heal me, right? Right. That'll that'll allow me to have peace. Whole time, mother nature and the trees just watching over me, just waiting for me, just waiting for me to come to you, waiting for me to come back to her. So can you share what you were experiencing in that moment? And also that can lead us to this conversation of psychedelics and that medicine versus the medicine of our mother, who really most of us are disconnected from. Yeah. 
This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric, lemon balm, and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings, especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is gonna allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, Give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that. As far as I've heard, 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. So can you share what you were experiencing in that moment? And also that can lead us to this conversation of psychedelics and that medicine versus the medicine of our mother who really most of us are disconnected from. Yeah. Well, it was such a beautiful moment. I mean, as you said, you were the first one to come down off the hill. It was early. I mean, it was, uh, I I remember waking up at four o'clock that morning. I had no concept of time. Right. Of of course not. No, no. Time is gone. (laughs) There's no time. After four days out there, forget it. Yeah. Um, I remember, Josh, the feeling, um, mostly the feeling, you know, of, of you coming down and uh and 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 alia and and i think hayden were there our assistants on the quest and um you coming down um and i remember that feeling that here is a man coming down which is what's a big part of your journey here's a man coming down who is of this earth a man of this earth a man who has found himself, a man who has found his place. Um, and these are all, again, words trying to point to something that's probably impossible to speak about. Um, and that hug <laughs> that you just came in, and there was such an incredible level of vulnerability in that moment. It just brought me to tears. I mean, it's moments like that that like, God, Josh, I mean, it, those moments like, fill me up. That's those moments are what I live for, brother. I mean, that's like to hold that kind of space uh for someone who's authentically on the journey. Um that's like the greatest thing, you know? That's like there's my purpose being manifest in the world yeah. through another, through my service uh, in this case of you. Um and yeah, I'll always remember you saying that you said, you know, my for the first time my little boy felt safe. And holy moly, you know, that's quite a statement. And, and your statement on, yeah, the quest versus uh, psychedelics. Um, oh my gosh, I mean, it's a huge conversation. But I, I think the thing I want to point to, because you spoke about wholeness. Yeah. Again, we are nature. We are of this earth and it matters. And there are, so you're familiar with uh, attachment theory. Of course. Right? Okay. So last 50 years, psychologists, right? Brief, brief overview is our, as babies, our connection or lack thereof with our parents, particularly our mother, um, has a, 
a huge, huge impact, a massive impact on the quality of our relationships throughout the rest of our life. Can we experience healing if that wasn't there? Yeah, of course. Um, but it's, it's going to color things dramatically. So I hold that it, similar to attachment theory, that, that there is a, consider a nature or earth attachment theory that we are, have evolved from this planet. This is our home. Yeah. If we have a conscious relation, so having a conscious relationship with it is essential to our development as human beings, as essential as like drinking clean water and having a healthy relationship with our parents. And if we don't have that, that's going to impact us negatively in the same way. And I would hold the same for a soul attachment theory, right? That we have a developmental need if we're going to experience our fullness of life to have a secure attachment to soul, right? Just like we need that with parents, just like we need that with nature. So people talk about this as people come to me all the time, right? And and, uh, I don't think we spoke about this after, so I'm curious your perspective on this. But I oftentimes get the comment that, wow, Tim, I came out, I made this connection with the earth, and it was like a veil was lifted between me and Mother Earth that I didn't know that veil was there until it was lifted. And like, I now, uh, one of the other, one of the indicators I look for in terms of the earth attachment being secured is that an individual primarily identifies as being of this earth. The first way of identifying oneself is as a natural human being, more so than any job, any, um, any role in life, any human community that first and foremost, my identity stems from being of this earth. And that's a piece of our wholeness, right? And so on a quest, sometimes that's conscious for people, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. But that, that reconnection is made. It can't not be made. When you, when you go give yourself 96 hours out there fasting and praying on the land like that, that connection is restored. And it just, you know, it, it, I mean, people just <laughs> cry and cry yes. of, uh, with, the, with joy and just the fullness and like, oh my God, I've always wanted this and yeah. never known it or maybe never realized, or maybe they did know it. You yeah, know, I can speak time. to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the veil you're talking about, there's, there's multi layers here. One of the things that hit me the hardest was the very first night I had the most uh, mm. earth shattering nightmares I've ever had. The dreams on Quest, for people who don't know, are profound, like Mm -hmm. all caps, end stop, profound. Because the veil out there to the underworld that that you and Mark Mm -hmm. talked about is very thin. Yes. So I think the reason why people reconnect to the wholeness of mother and didn't maybe realize that a veil was there is because they've never touched the veil of the underworld in mm-hmm. other parts of their life. Right. The, the bugs, the creepy crawlies, the animals, my sits, my spot uh, was like, there was droppings all over the ground. Oh yeah, I didn't know if it was bear. You told <laughs> me that bears have logs. So I was like looking around for right. logs. Right. Like, Cause the trees in my spot were like scratched. Oh yeah. And I'm like, is that a deer? Is that an elk? Is that a bear? <laughs> and so the veil that I experienced out there was like the dream world and the waking world blended. Yes. I mean, there oh, was yeah. a blending of these mm-hmm. things. And the dream was so profound that um, I woke up that morning and I just wept, Yeah, you know, because the sun was so beautiful. And in the dream I had, and I've shared this before, and it's, and it's cathartic and beautiful to share. Like I, I had experienced a lot of um, 
uh, addiction around sexuality in my life, which, which I'm open to share about because man, it's yeah. healing for other people. There oh are millions God. of men yeah. specifically, I'll speak to men, women too, that deal with this. And in the dream, I, I came on a prostitute because I had made a choice in Thailand yeah. at a lower stage of development many years back to engage in that. Yeah. And I woke up that morning after going through the most visceral, like churning nightmare, like, like truly the caterpillar and the chrystalis, yes. like just in its own liquid, like oh, that, yeah. that's what it felt like, man. Yeah. And when I woke up, I was just like, thank God yeah. for my life. Thank God for my life. And, and that I don't have to leave my woman and that I can be a father to my child. And I think the veil you're speaking about, we have to go to things like the quest in order to know that there's even a veil in the first place. Right then we can reconnect with the veil um, that may be blocking us from Mother Earth. Yeah. So I'd love for you to speak about maybe both of those veils because they're both, they deserve equal importance. For and sure. I, and I think we operate so much neck up here in this society that yeah. um, potentially we don't even know what they are, how to access them, yeah. what they mean for us. Well, sometimes we talk about the five, um, I consider more minor initiations, but in in nature, right? So cold, wet, bugs, alone, dark. <laughs> no fire. <laughs> yeah. No tent. I was angry at you and Mark. I oh, like, yeah. No tent. Right. What How the dare fuck? they? <laughs> Just a little tarp for the rain. And then he was like, dude, an animal is going to get you if you're in a tent or a tarp. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. But yeah, you take away all these things that give us comfort. And yeah. then what's left? Exactly. What's left? What's left? That's the question. I, I opened up the podcast talking about how the quest is the ultimate shedding of distractions, right? And because what are those distractions? Whether it's tents or warmth or Facebook likes or whatever it is, those are the trappings of the ego. That's what brings us safety, security, and comfort, which are all illusions of the ego. And so as that is stripped away, you know, the quest is an intentional process of, of shifting one's identity from the place of the ego to the place of one's soul. And for that to happen, the ego has to loosen its grip. So there has to be a shedding process, and that's not comfortable. you know. So that's why it's important, as we've been talking about, that people feel this calling. Because it is. like if, if you're listening right now, I'm thinking of our listeners, and feeling drawn to this, like there's a certain courage that's called for Damn right. of like, I'm willing to let go of those things that make me comfortable. By definition, that means you're going to get uncomfortable. And that's a healthy thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We live in a society that worships the God of comfort, right? And we lose our souls, literally. And maybe we'll lose our planet, you know, as a result. And so, like, this is, you know, um, the courage. This is the bravery. This is maybe a part of that warrior aspect of ourselves. Like, I'm wanting and willing to face myself and willing to let go of these comforts, even for a time, so that I can see what is really left when mm-hmm. all of those distractions are stripped away? Yeah. And what's left? What's left is your spirit. What's left is your essence. You know, and, and, and you feel that not as a separate thing floating out there, but in connection with the ground, you know, in connection with your life purpose. Yeah, dreams come in. I mean, I'm a huge dreamer. I love dreams. I love working with dreams. Um, Working with uh, the signs and symbols and synchronicities, we spoke about that earlier, from nature, is very similar to working with dreams. But dreams are so cool because it's literally an unlimited canvas. It's like the dream weaver 
creator, spirit, whatever, however, fill in the blank with whatever you're comfortable with, has a canvas that they can pick whatever they want to paint exactly what we need to see, yeah. to face ourselves. And in your case, Josh, you know, you had to face all of that, that really intense, you know, that nightmare of, of, of the scene with the prostitute and mm-hmm. all of that, mm-hmm. because that was the pain that was living in your spirit. On a subconscious deep level yeah. that I had actually thought that I had done work on, which I did. And you probably had. But there was a level of connection to the shame and the guilt yes. that was still the present. most cathartic yeah. in that environment. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, that's a big question. Again, because, well, because you entered that ceremony with a, a, a deep level of courage. You you said, okay, I want to face myself. You said, I'm willing to let go of all of these distractions. And you really gave yourself humbly to it. You know, as you said, you're a leader. It's hard to to come out and, and be led by some, but you you did the, you were ready and, and you made the choice of really opening yourself and then in that space, spirit said, soul said, okay, here we go. First night. First freaking night. <laughs> you got courage. I hope you're ready. Here's your lesson. <laughs> here you go, brother. First night. And it, it took you to your knees, man. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I can only speak about this because, you know, I, I, how many times have I gone through that? Sure. I've been humbled sure. so many times over and over and over with, from, to release the trappings of the ego and embrace my real calling. Um. Why did that happen? It happened because you earned it. You know, that wasn't assisted. I mean, thinking about entheogens and psychedelics, you, your psyche was ready for it. And we, there's an old saying that on Quest, you know, we get exactly what we're ready for and no more, you know. So unlike psychedelics, psychedelics can blow people out and, and sure. we can see, we can have experiences that are way beyond our capacity, actually our capacity to integrate we always talk about integration, this integration, that. Well, um, there's some real hazards there. And there's lots of folks who experience trauma during those yes. scenarios. They can actually go and be more harmed when leaving yes. entheogenic uh, experiences yeah. than before they arrived. Right. And like, I'm not going to come down and say that's impossible in a quest, but I have never experienced it. And I've never heard of a story of that happening. And I've you know been doing this work I mean, professionally, my whole life, if my, you whole, had, my whole adult life. If you had to guess, and, and the number doesn't even matter, I'm just yeah. genuinely curious, how many individuals have you directly led and indirectly led over the course of these decades? Oh, I don't know. I mean, thousands. Thousands yeah. of people. Yeah. And you've never had one experience where someone had a psychotic break. Maybe they, maybe they broke a part of their mind they were holding on to that wasn't serving them. I did have one. Okay. I, I did can, have can one. Can you share about that? <laughs> Uh, this was, I don't know, God, what was this? This was like eight, nine years ago. And, yeah. and this was a woman who w- w- came in with very significant trauma, very significant trauma from throughout her life. Um, she's like in her 30s or so. I love how honest you are. You could have been like, nah, but you're going for it, right? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go for it. Why not? Look, I'm just a human being like anybody else, right? Yeah. Um, and she, let me think here. So I, we were kind of lucky in that um, she didn't. I wouldn't say she had a full psychotic break in our in our in our program structure, but she was she had the early stages of it, and there was a deep unwillingness on her part to face herself. Right, there was a deep, deep unwillingness to face herself, and and what was that? That was, I mean, ton, I mean, a ton of empathy and compassion for her. Um, because she had heavy duty trauma that she was trying to heal. Sure. You know, and then as she came forward, 
in the in the process, um, it was it was just too much. And she had a story, which was actually a story I held for years, that it was only a traditional earth based wisdom or healing context that she was open to, and what she had closed herself off to were more modern approaches that would understand, you know, uh, the, the modern psyche. Yeah. And she had really closed that off. And she had kind of, for years, she had she took that route of, of a traditional uh, healing practices as far as it would go. And that brought her a certain amount of healing. But the next stage in her development was actually to open up to a more modern approach. Because look, traditional earth-based ceremonies, you know, um, inspired by indigenous peoples, they they were for those people at that time, and they do they have healing and, and wisdom and power for us, of course. But we are modern people, you know. I grew up <laughs> in the suburbs in sure. Indiana in the eighties. I didn't grow up on the back of a horse, you know, hunting and gathering in a in an intact tribe. So our healing ceremonies, a certain part of it, I firmly believe, Josh, have to come from our modern experience. So I have a great respect for like modern psychotherapy, uh, men's circles, women's circles that that aren't, you know, drawing from earth-based yeah. traditions, but they're drawing from a modern understanding of the psyche. So just to finish the story, sure. this woman was unwilling to embrace that side of her. She had a story going that only the old earth-based approaches would work for her. Which feels almost like sabotage on a very deep level. Totally. Like I'm only going to do this way yeah. because that's the way it has to be. Anytime we're not, as you say, honoring the mystery, right? then we're not going to get the gift. Yeah. And in that process, she had turned her back to a whole side of herself, maybe the biggest side, you yeah. know? And in that unwillingness, um, yeah, I mean, she had a break and it was not pretty. You know, thankfully I had elders present. This was at a community held process with, it was a big workshop with like a hundred plus people. And I brought in all the support I could get. I, I called on, <laughs> on my men's group, I called on, uh, my elders and and we we formed a circle and and helped her out and and you know um it it didn't get worse at that time thankfully um but yeah those are you know those are that was a scary situation one big thing is our ancestors were incredibly wise because they were living and connected to the earth there wasn't a veil of separation if Correct. they were conscious if they were doing their work i'm yeah. sure there was probably just like any of course. any time in society there's people that weren't doing their work but one thing that i was feeling when you were speaking was our ancestors if they lived today mm-hmm. would have had the wisdom to combine modern day science and modern day healing because it's in their environment. They would have been smart enough to know, okay, well, there's certain things about this day or this earth, this experience that I will bring in. You know, those things didn't exist back then. Right. So to not blend the two, and, and it's a perfect moment for me to share this with you, because of you, man, and because of the quest and what I went through, we have completely changed our branding, mm, our messaging wow. for Wellness Force. Wow. Because I realized what this unlocked for me was we really weren't being present for people's eyes and ears to connect them to three things. And that is the wisdom and the honor for our ancestors in the past, which is why we now have trees in our branding. We now have earth in our branding. We now have Beautiful. stars in our branding. Yeah. Um, Alan and I are creating something magical that everybody's going to see, and that is this abstract art. The abstract means the technology. Kevin Kelly calls it the technium, right? It's consciousness experiencing itself through technology. So in the middle of this, there's the vision quest and the healing honoring of of our ancestors, my grandfather and Mother Nature, with the abstract of technology. And in the middle, there's spaciousness. Mm. There's spaciousness for for us to decide from a place of wholeness okay, well, which one is more important today? 
yeah. is today's medicine or mission that I take in technology and I use that from spaciousness or do I need to go and connect with mother nature? And it's so funny. I'm in like real time feeling this with you. Yeah. You know, the whole mission of this podcast since we started was how do I gather physical and how do I discover physical and emotional intelligence so I can live my life well? How do I do that? Yeah. And the only way we can do that, and this is why the brand has evolved really because of you, brother, mm. because of you and because of your teachings, that spaciousness in the middle is now this really fun, exciting place that we get to create from and we can pull from the abstract and the tech or we right. can pull from Mother Nature and her teachings. So I just wanted to thank you well, here on the podcast so for that. And, yeah, and, and what, I'm honored, honored. You're welcome. What does that bring up for you? Like the concept yeah. of the three, right? The nature, the honoring of the past and the, <laughs> and the now, the honoring of the future, which is really our future generations. And then the spaciousness in the middle yeah. to be the arbiter of decision from. Yeah. Well, again, such a big topic here and so much to say. I like to ask big questions. I love man. it, bro. I How love else it. are we going to get intelligent? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think one of the big things, and this is not, you know, so be mindful of the, of the trappings of the mind here. This is not something to be intellectualized. This is something to be experienced somatically in the body. Everyone take a deep breath. Okay. Is the, imp- <sighs> thank you, the importance of experiencing ourselves as one link in the bigger chain of the ancestors who've come before us and future generations to come. You know, I remember being in the sweat before the sweat lodge, before the quest and saying over and over, just feeling, I could feel them like right behind my right shoulder, the future generations. I remember saying this over and over. I don't know if you remember this moment or not, but future generations are coming Oh yeah. Future generations are coming. I repeated that three times. Future mm-hmm. generations are coming. And it was like, you know, that's much of my work, right? I always think of it's not so much about Tim. It's more about Tim getting out of the way so I can be that hollow reed for something else to speak through me. Those are that's always my prayer, you know, is help me get out of the way so something else can come through me. And when you say it, it has a different resonance. A lot of people speak in tongues and they go, oh my God, let me get out of the way so spirit can speak through me. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but when you say it, like it's from, it's from this peacefulness and experience, which is where I, I believe true power can be trusted from, from that place. Yeah, and I never quite know when it's happening in the moment. I mean, sometimes I'll get a hit, but you know, it's, it's typically in retrospect that, that I get clarity on whether that was successful. Because I'm still a human being. I'm still a guy. I make mistakes. There's all kinds of moments when Tim gets in the way. Of course. You know, that's the journey of being a human being. Yeah. Um, but that was a moment looking back, like, I think something else was coming through. And that's so important that people feel that. Like, we're going to die one day. And there are future humans and trees and birds and animals waiting their turn to live on this earth. Wondering, you know, this is the image I always hold, wondering, how are they taking care of it? What kind of a world will they leave me? I mean, our children, our grandchildren, right? One day they're going to be here. What will we have left them? And similarly, our ancestral path, right? And this was a big, of course, a big theme at the quest that you were at, Josh. Um, So just as important, but of course, this is looking to the past. So... A lot of people, let me just back up and say this. So a lot of people associate the vision quest with uh, as a Native American thing, you know, and that's understandable that the term itself, I think, came with the understanding is that it came from a an uh, anthropologist who, that was an, an English term that he put on 
this process of four days fasting alone in the natural world for North American indigenous peoples, right? But if we look back across time and cultures, we see that as a practice, it was something that existed cross-culturally, mm-hmm. right? There were Australian Aborigines who had sure. their version of it. There were Celtics who had their version. Christ in his <laughs> days in the desert or Mohammed in the cave or the Buddha under the tree, right? Those were all vision quests, right? We could say. And so at, at its heart, it is a human thing. It is not a Native American thing. And that's part of why I, Mark and I choose to use the terminology vision quest, um, because our hope is to actually help redefine that, that this is something that's, that all of our ancestors did at some point in time that is accessible to us. We all come from this earth, you know, and there's no, there's no comparing one culture or one group of people better than another. And so that's important. Now, it's important to acknowledge that... Um, we spoke about this right during the quest uh, ahead of time that we all as most of us as modern people come from an ancestral lineage where our connection to the earth was severed right that by colonialism capitalism you name it um, but there was a time in our ancestral lineage history where our spiritual connection to place was cut my my, my last name is Corcoran right i come from County Cork, Ireland, my, my, my paternal lineage, right? Um, that's five generations back. Those are my people. Those are my ancestors. There was a spiritual connection to that place. We talked about localization of spirituality. That's my ancestral connection. I, I don't have Native American uh, you know, blood in me. Mm-hmm. And so what was it? You know, what was the bomb? This is kind of pulling from, from the quest. You know? What was the bomb that went off in my lineage that, that forced my ancestors to leave this sacred connection that we're now talking about working so hard to reestablish, to, to reclaim, you know, uh, that was, that, that was the, the, the potato you know, famine, right? In Ireland. Sure. And I've, I've studied this. I've looked back, you know, what was going on back then? Well, the, the, the blight came, the potatoes went bad and it wasn't that there wasn't other food. The Irish people were growing lots of food, but they were under the tyranny of the English who were completely um, just brutalizing and traumatizing them, taking all of their food, sending it back to England so that all that was left for the Irish at the time were the potatoes. So when those potatoes, that blight hit, that was it. Mm. I mean, it was death. It was like either leave your spiritual homeland or die. What would you have picked? Of course they left. Of course they came to the U.S. That was the only hope. You know, we had this quote that Mark and I work with the – if you, the, um, the only reason a person leaves home is if the home is the mouth of a shark. Oh, that's right. Right. The only per- reason yes. a person leaves home is if home is the mouth of a shark. That was it. It was either stay and die or go and live, you know, so that, so that their future generations at the time, me today could have a chance. Right. So, and this is why I say the quests we lead are not traditional Native American, right? It's, it's, these quests are, are adapted for modern people in modern time. Do we draw from traditional universal cultural points? Yes. You know, is there wisdom there? Of course. And do we incorporate a modern understanding of the psyche and the, human, the whole human being? Yes. But the spiritual basis for the work we do, the work I do, 
is that I want people to make the connection that you made. I want people to get that at some point in their history, their ancestry, a bomb went off and they lost that connection. That did used to live in their beings and mm. their ancestors' beings, right? And, and, and that means grief. Like to actually sit with that is an incredibly, incredibly grief-filled experience. That, that's like the sin of, of our times and even sure. beyond, before our times. And that maybe through feeling that grief of that tremendous, tremendous loss, you know, back when people were still connected to the earth and their souls and themselves, maybe through experiencing the fullness of that grief, we can have a chance of reestablishing that. You know, so it's not about, I want to go out to the Lakota, or I want to go to the Navajo, or I want to go to this tribe or that tribe and take their ceremonies, and that's going to fill the hole. That's a losing approach. It's not going to work. And it's also not respectful in most cases. I mean, that's cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the approach is, what is my inherent connection to this earth, and how do I go about reestablishing that spiritual connection mm. to place? So much to share right there. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. There's so much wisdom in the grief mm-hmm. that we forget about because the grief can be so overpowering to our nervous system. And one of the things that was really, really deep for me on the quest was mm-hmm. what grief am I not allowing myself to feel? What yes. sadness am I not allowing myself to feel? And I, I, I connected with my grandfather in such a deep right. way out That's there. Right. Um, yeah. you know, obviously it's the, I've, I've shared with you, but I'll just share quickly. Like it's, it's the, the middle name of my child is Morrow mm-hmm. because that's my grandfather's first name. And so I want to honor the best that he possibly could, the way he provided for our family, the pain that he went through, uh, his parents coming over from Sicily mm-hmm. on a boat. Can you imagine, can you guys imagine to what Tim is speaking about having to let go of your home, your sheep, your farm, your wine, everything, burn it to the ground because of the tyranny that they were experiencing in Sicily and at that time. Generations of ancestral connection to that place. And then come to Ellis Island and get a stamp and be like, well, here's your name. I mean, to be treated like cattle. Yeah. And I was feeling that out there for him and I was just feeling so grateful, mm. so grateful yeah. for what he went through. And the way that he left what he left for our family. I mean, it just, it brings tears to my eyes right now just to think about it. And so that's the honoring that I'm doing in my life with my son is, is Nova is the brightest star in the universe. It's right. Yeah. The supernova. That's right. It's the brightest thing we'll ever see. And I think all the, the children that are coming in right now for parents that are on a path of spirituality or just growth, mm-hmm. they're coming in to change some things. Yes. So it's an honoring of the future generations. It's an honoring of my grandfather in the past, mm-hmm. but it's also one of the times that I've really been able to touch that deep level of sadness mm-hmm. for what he went through. Yeah. Have, have you experienced that yourself? Mm-hmm. And then can you talk about the healing mechanism that happens when we honor the grief and honor the wisdom of the sadness? Yeah. Well, that's such a big piece, you know? And again, we live in a modern, our modern culture that doesn't, uh, it doesn't hold space for that process. Certainly, as men, in general, and then certainly as men, oh my God, you know, we're not allowed to cry, right? As uh, that's sure. the cultural narrative. Yes, real men don't cry. The the the, word, the most sinister one is big boys don't cry. Oh yeah, big you boys hear don't this? cry. Oh yeah, you guys, of course, are, are just please don't do this to your children. Oh my God, like, I'm going to tell my son your sadness is safe with me. Yes, if you want to cry, you're safe with me, son. It's welcome. You don't you don't big boys do cry. Yeah, because we all cry. Anyways, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to note. It's important. Hugely to know. so. Hugely yeah. so. 
So what what do we unlock when we do that? Well, I mean, this kind of goes back to the, the journey of emotional maturity that we were talking about and how much healing we all have. We live in a world where, you know, our world today, there's so much more trauma that we're facing because we live in a disconnected world, Yeah. right? So each individual on average has way more trauma these days, say, than our Earth-based ancestors did 500, 1,000 years ago. And um, we have less cultural uh, support to process that. Back then, they had the old ceremonies. They had built into the culture that knew how to address those issues of trauma and grief, right? And, you know, I mean, we're working on it. <laughs> We've got modern psychotherapy, which helps to an extent, but is not the whole answer. It can unfortunately sometimes be very heady and very intellectual. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not a proponent of just doing talk therapy. No, no, only. no, God, no. No, no, it's no. It's a no, part no. of the wheel, but. Yes, yeah. part of it, but not, not the, the whole, whole picture. Absolutely not. Um, and so, so when we do start to open up and we allow ourselves the opportunity, you know, to feel our feelings, what tends to come up first for most people is uh, issues of trauma from their own personal life history, right? Like for me, it was some abuse as a young kid and then bullying and then my parents' divorce. Those were like the three heavyweight traumas I had to, to contend with that took me some years to, you know, begin to get on the other side of. And for a lot, and this this is just a generality, you know, there are exceptions to this, but for most people, when we come to the other side of that, and I'm not saying that we can ever fully, you know, we can't change the past, but we can change our relationship to it and we can change our inner narrative and the impact of that on us. Someone once said regarding trauma that the 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 the, the horror, the worst part of trauma is not the trauma itself, but our how we hold on to it. And, and internalize it and then continue to traumatize ourselves, we, we, we adopt an inner abuser, an inner oppressor, mm-hmm. you know, unconsciously that continues to traumatize ourselves over and over. So we can get to the other side of that. And th- that kind of healing work happens, as you experienced and many others, in a quest and, or in a therapy room or in a men's group or in a women's group. Uh, there's lots of different places where that can unfold. But... When we do begin to get to the other side of that, right, and it doesn't, uh, I like to speak about it as the transition from a wound-driven life to a vision-driven life, right? First, we've got we've to catch up with ourselves. We've got to address all that stuff that we're not at peace with in ourselves. Then we can really put our energy towards that bigger vision. But when that happens, and we see this more and more, then a doorway opens up to the ancestral grief, you know, to the grief. What happens to the grief my dad or granddad or great-granddad had and didn't address? Does that just go away? No. We know this from epigenics. That shit sticks around. And whatever my ancestors didn't deal with, I'm going to have to deal with. You know, I mean, I don't have to. I could choose to pass it on unconsciously. You could, which is what a lot of people do. And I'm not saying that to belittle them. It's just the no. awareness of what is. Like a lot of people Absolutely. choose to not deal with it. Right. And that's, that's okay on some level. Yeah. But if we're going to, you know, be serving a greater vision for the future, right, then, then it is our responsibility to do so. And I'm so many of, of us, and I'm sure many of our listeners, have made that commitment. Like the trauma stops with me. Yeah. I'm not going to repeat the sins of the past. But what we have to recognize, and this is the other piece, I know we spoke about this during the quest, is that is something that my elders, uh, an elder told me, God, I mean, this was like, yeah, 20 years ago. 
And I remember being so depressed. <laughs> so trigger warning here for people. For so depressed when I first heard this that he said to me, he said, it will be 500 years before the full fruits of our efforts of this vision are known on this earth. Meaning to fully come back to an intact regenerative society with a deep connection to the earth, with a deep, where that's the norm, you know, where a deep connection to soul and purpose and vision and a fully intact community and all the rites of passages and the ceremonies and the rituals are all back. It's, a, it's the 500 year plan. <laughs> and I, that was so upsetting to me. I'm like, what the fuck are what you talking about? Like, that's, you know. Yeah, I'm, my life. Even if I live to a hundred, that's not even that's twenty percent of that. You're barely seeing the foundation get built. Exactly, and and that's the metaphor we use of like we're building a house. Yeah, for our future generations. Those that's you know that's beyond anyone I'll ever know in my life. Maybe I'll I'll probably meet hopefully meet a grandchild, maybe a great grandchild, but that's multiple generations forward. And so, oh my God, I mean, as a dad, like I said, I've got an 11 and a 14 year old. And I remember in those early years, like having such a strong vision for community up in Idaho and being so, I mean, full of intense rage and just like, fuck, screaming, fuck you at God for the fact that like my kids aren't going to experience the full shelter of that house. Hmm. I'm so upsetting. I can't tell you. I, I wanted to dynamite everything. Because um, I had this idea that, oh, you know, five years in, we'll be able to recreate the whole community. And even if it's not for me, at least my kids will get it. And then when I realized, wow, nope, maybe they'll get to hammer a few <laughs> nails into the studs of the wall. But this is way bigger than any of us. You know, and this is seven generations thinking, both backwards as well as forwards. What, you know, what is my work to do to heal the grief of the past of my ancestors? What is my work to do now? And can I do it well? Can I build that foundation well? You know, or am I going to jump ahead or be antsy about it or, you know, be sucked in by all all manner of distractions rather than actually doing the work of my time, you know? And that's like the hardest thing that has been for me, you know, as a man committed to vision. And, and again, I make all kinds of mistakes, but to see that, wow, it's just foundational work. Mm-hmm. And that's all it's probably going to be. I mean, I, I'm open to something else, you know, and if there's a shortcut, sure. fucking A, bring it on, you know. But time and time again, it's like, nope, foundational work, foundational work, foundational work. And there's such a wisdom in the acceptance of that because a lot of people might choose, well, if it's not going to be, if the fruits of my labor aren't going to be seen in my lifetime, then what's the point? Yeah. Well, the point is, is that it's not about just us. Yeah. That's, that's really the point. Yeah. And I think that the more that this kind of narrative can be heard and honestly more just felt. Yes. That's the kind of peace that it can bring to people because I think all of a lot, every single thing we've talked about today is running when it comes to the disassociation from self and the way our society uh, teaches us to disconnect. They're all happening on a very subtle subconscious level Mm -hmm. at all times. Yes. And so if anyone is with us and you're feeling in your life, okay, there's just this existential kind of background tension that I feel. You're probably feeling that. Yes. You know, and there's probably some other things that you can have the honoring of your sadness and get the gifts of the wisdom that your sadness is bringing. And, and I'm curious how you feel about this concept of, Mm. of pain being a teacher. Oh yeah. You know, there, oh, yeah. I have learned so much in my life. 
from going through the most painful experiences. I mean, mm-hmm. even this podcast, man, the fruits of my labor for you and I to sit right here and for us to have what we have. And, and it, it, it's, I'm so grateful for it because I earned the wisdom. Yes. I, I tried to take the shortcuts and it mm-hmm. actually, they were long cuts. <laughs> right. There's no, <laughs> up being a big ass distraction. There's no such thing as shortcuts when it comes to being authentic. Yeah. Yes. And I think our, especially in marketing for, for podcasting, there's a lot of coaches and people out there that, that try to hook people mm-hmm. and try well, to pay me 10 grand and I'll give you the shortcut. Sure. There are some easier paths. And this is what I, I'd love for you to, to share and expound upon, man. When it comes to learning from the wisdom of our pain as a teacher, one big massive thing in my integration from the quest and we were journaling I'll never forget that we had just done the sweat lodge. I was like, I don't know if I can make it through another sweat lodge, Tim. <laughs> and you're like, no, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And I was laying after the sweat lodge and I was writing and I was like, wow, when I actually surrender to the wisdom of my teacher who is bringing pain, mm-hmm. it allows me to be resilient. Yes. Like a tree who can blow with the wind in a storm and not snap. Yeah. But if I'm resisting the wisdom of my pain teacher and I'm like, fuck you pain, get out of my life. I want the easy road. I want the shortcut, whatever it is. Um, that's what actually makes me fragile Yes, is, is resisting the wisdom of my pain teacher. Yeah. So how, how have you seen that come through in your own experiences? And also mm-hmm. how can you practically apply that for people interested in quest? Yeah. Uh, again, big question. So a couple of thoughts, um, when we argue with reality, we lose <laughs> straight up, yeah. right? And, and, and of course, when we argue, when pain is our reality and we argue with it, we're going to lose. And uh, I love this little equation, suffering equals pain times resistance. Mm. Uh, pain is, is part of life at times and suffering is optional, right? And it's, it's, suffering is that function of the amount we resist the pain that we have. Now, I'm not saying I've got this mastered, but boy, is this one that I continue to work with. Um, so pain is part of life. We live in a world that has this narrative that says, we sh- you know, what happily ever after, that happily ever after is a thing, right, that could be achieved. Bullshit. You know, who? Who has experienced that? Come on. No Snow way. White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> Or the exactly, princess yeah. with the glass slipper. Disney taught us this. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? These are the these are the 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 really insidious narratives that, that get in the, the back unconsciously in, yeah. into the back of our psyche. And then when we don't have that, when I'm not living happily ever after, there's a problem, and there must be something wrong with me because everyone else around me is happy, right? That's the story that everyone's portraying. You know, don't I mean I grew up with this, right? Like in my family household, we had all kinds of tension and conflict. And, but as soon as we left the front door, put a smile on, mm. you know, pretend like it's all good. And, like, and we're all doing that. And then people have pain and trauma and they, they, they think they're the only one. You know, the amount of shame I've gone through, you know, thinking I was the only one, only to open up and realize, oh my God, everyone around me has experienced their trauma too. And they've all that gratitude of like, thank you so much, Tim, for opening up because, you know, it helped me give me permission to address mine. This is a big, big stuff we're talking about, you know, big, big stuff. And so when we embrace that, you know, when we, when we can embrace the fact that, yes, you know, there's pain and, and that has something to teach us, we, we, it's an empowering stance, right? Like um, my belief is that every moment in life 
is a teacher. You know, and there is some opportunity, a gift from every moment. And I know that's a big statement. This, you're, uh, this is someone who's speaking who's experienced, you know, abuse, sexual abuse as a, as a six-year-old, right? And I can say that statement and mean it about that experience. Does it mean that that was okay? Of course not. Does it mean that, that pain uh, doesn't exist? No. Pain is a very real thing. But is there something to learn from that? Is there a positive side to that? Yes. If I'm willing to hold that possibility. And so that goes for the worst of the worst trauma that goes for all the minor, you know, stuff, everything in between. And so because to otherwise, what, what's the alternative? Okay, pain's not a teacher. Okay, um, then I'm, I'm in a victim standpoint. Then I'm a victim to life, mm-hmm. right? And when I'm in a victim standpoint to life, I lose. You know, I lose. Then that that then I get in, into that negative spiral everywhere I go, everywhere I see. Woe is me. You know, all why is all this shit happening to me? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, wow, you know, this is happening. It must be here for a reason. There must be some teaching here for me. There must be okay. I'm experiencing pain. It's hard. I'm willing to open up. I'm willing to share. I'm willing to receive support. I'm willing to feel vulnerable, even though it's hard. And yeah, I'd rather have my Starbucks latte. Nope. I'm going to open up and like share the pain in my heart here. Right. Uh, And from that, I'll find a deeper connection. I'll connect with you vulnerably. And oh my God, you know, there's something here for me. There's, there's a bigger opportunity. I mean, I think of myself, you know, Josh, I mean, I, I had such toxic, low self-esteem the first 25, 30 years of my life from that abuse, from that bullying, I mean, intense bullying for like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years, grade school, um, and my parents' divorce. I just thought I was a piece of shit, you know? I mean, I mean, that was the message, was like, everyone else is more important than you. You know, you don't matter. And so I internalized that. I believed it was true. And it was Nature Connection and the Vision Quest and, and, and um, all of those old practices that really saved my life and that turned me around and gave me hope, you know? And that took years to come on, on to the other side of But I have made it to the other side of that. Does it mean that it never shows up? No, of course it still shows up. You know, but as I look back at my own visionary path, every step of the way, like when I, when I look back and the actual actions I took to found my wilderness school or start Purpose Mountain or, you know, offer quests or um, get on podcasts, you know, each step of the way, um, I mean, I've had anxiety come up, right? And there's a certain amount of pain there. There's, a, there's this, another layer of the story that I'm not important that comes up for me to face and it's rearing its ugly head and it's sure, sure as shit so believable and it would be so much easier to just sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat Doritos than like step forward and claim my authentic voice and take a risk and all the reasons in the world come up what if people don't like it you know what if I make a fool of myself this that or the other and then and all that pain all that old pain is, is, is back there because it wants to be healed and if I'm courageous enough to say yes to that, to face that stuff and say, you know, there's a bigger vision. There's a bigger truth. I know this is not real. Yep. I know this is, these are my shadows coming up. Boy, it sure seems convincing, but I'm willing to step forward anyway. And sometimes my knees are fucking shaking. Sometimes I don't even know what words are going to come out of my mouth, (laughs) but I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to do this every time, every time, beauty, healing, transformation, vision, purpose comes forward. Each time I rewrite the story, 
each time I learn to relate to those experiences in a different way and open up that possibility for somebody else. It's so fucking exciting to actually see the printing press, the one mm. that's scripting the beliefs. Oh my God. And be like, hey, I'm not going to be angry at this printing press anymore. Yeah. The one that said I wasn't good enough or I'm too fat or I'm stupid or whatever it is. And, and I think that this phrase gets said a lot, but it's so perfect for this moment. And that is that hurt people hurt people. Yes. Yeah. And, and let that land for a moment. Like, don't try to intellectualize that. Like mm. we've talked about when, when people are hurt, they unknowingly subconsciously hurt other people. Mm-hmm. And I've done it in my own life. Oh, I, we all have. I, on yeah. the quest, many memories come, came up where I was like, oh yeah, I, I could have actually handled that a lot differently. Yes. <laughs> and I could see my own projection of my own unhealed stuff um, with many of the, the women that I've had in my life. And even mm-hmm. in the relationship with my father, which has, has transformed in such a beautiful way mm. from, from this yeah. quest and this process. And so, and so thinking of that uh, metaphor of the printing press, you know, we're just getting the printing press from our father, our yeah. mother, who got it from their father and mother. And I said this a lot, but it, it completely is here for us. Alan Watts, one of the mentors that I would love to interview, he was like, mm-hmm. it's all wretch and no vomit. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going, uh, I know I shouldn't believe that printing press. Uh, I should probably treat my children differently. Uh, but no one ever throws it up because right. vomiting the beliefs of these printing presses can be really challenging. Yeah, And so it's not to shame people and, and say like, why aren't you being more crazy? It's mm-hmm. more like, if you're feeling the spark to, to be honest with the printing press of the beliefs, mm-hmm. just have the courage to gather the support, the experiences like a quest and the, and the different scaffolding around the human being that you are, because who you are is love. Mm-hmm. That's who we really are. Yes. And I can feel it in my body just talking to you right now. Like yeah. we're, we're loving beings. We're, we're here on the planet to share and give and experience love. Yeah. But we've become so, so muddled. And, and so distracted by the trappings, yeah. you know, the things. And so in all the ground we've covered, man, which mm. has been so awesome. Yeah. And I knew it was going to be great, <laughs> but um, with all the ground that we've covered, mm. is, is there, is there anything else that, that wants to be spoken by you mm-hmm. about the specificity, the timing, the power of doing a, a vision quest mm-hmm. and, yeah. and really the, how this relates to, us climbing our own mountain. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's climbing their own purpose mountain, yes. which is the name of your company, purposemountain.com. Yeah. So, so please unpack that a little bit. Is there anything else that wants to be shared? Yeah. Well, you know, again, if we look at the times we live in, um, I imagine many years from now, a time when the humans have come back in to right relationship with the earth on the whole, on the mainstream, right? But come back into right relationship with mystery, with spirit, um, with themselves. I imagine that the kids or the, or the young people of that generation will look back into the past, which is like these days we're living in now, and they'll wonder, they'll wonder who were those brave people who lived in those dark, dark times, you know, who had the courage to stand up for what was right, when it felt like everything was working against them, when to do what was right was completely going in the opposite uh, of, of, of the flow of society itself. They'll wonder and they'll think, who had the courage you know, to make the difference so that we could live this good life today? You know, and my work, each day I wake up, my prayer is that 
I can be one of those people. I know I'm not going to do it all perfect, but I know that I can make a difference. I know that, so I'm thinking of our listeners, right? Like, yes, you have a purpose you for being here. You There is a reason you took birth, you took form on planet Earth at this time in this year. And if you're courageous enough, you know, that can be discovered, that can be felt, that can be found. Will it require you to face yourself? Yes. Will it be easy? Probably not. Yeah. Will you have to face your traumas? Probably so. Is it the only life worth living at the end of your days when you're laying on your deathbed looking back? I can't see any other life that's worth living. I can't see any other way of like living with myself other than discovering and, and seeking, discovering and, and living my, my purpose my vision. And so what I want people to know is that is available, whether it's me or there's others, you know, um, but there is a a good golden path forward. And in that, the connection to the earth is vital and there's no substitute for it. I mean, feet on the ground, butt on the ground, (laughs) getting dirty, cold, wet, dark, alone, bugs, all of that, plus all the beauty of sunrises and owls and coyotes howling in the night and every every, every other beautiful moment there are, you know, raindrops falling from the the pine needles. Um, And that that is available to each human being, you know, that that path, that connection to the earth, that their connection to their vital essence, their place in this world is possible, no matter how lonely, how afraid, how broken, whatever, you know, that is available. And my, my message is that, um, to listen to that pain, be brave, take courage, reach out, get support. You know, the, uh, it is, we're, we're all waiting for you, you know, and, and when you make that choice, when you say yes to life, life says yes to you. You know, uh, we talk about this in our programs, you know, people talk about the crazy synchronicities, right? Like we, we ran this vision quest in early May in North Idaho, which is like, normally we would have, have had total <laughs> uh, rainstorms and cold and, and the whole quest was like beautiful weather, you know? And I remember in the last few days, it got a little colder and we had a little rain and clouds and one of the participants came in and she was all nervous. She's like, oh, is this a bad sign? Did, did we do something wrong? I said, no, my God, no, no. Yeah. You don't realize... It was a good sign the past week that we had all that amazing weather. That was a huge blessing, you know, and I can't tell you, Josh, how many times I've seen that, that when we serve the earth, the earth serves us, right? And all manner of synchronicities un- begin to unfold in our support, you know, cheering us on, supporting us along the way. When we say yes to our vision, you know, life opens up and, and, and meets us, but it's not about waiting until the perfect time and all your ducks are in a row. Um, the old Odawa peacemaker I mentioned earlier, the Anishinaabe man, he, he used to say, you know, if you wait till you're ready, you'll never be ready. Ha. Right? I mean, yes. there it is. So like, yeah. what are you waiting for? When you look, when again, I mean, the deathbed perspective, looking back on life, I know I go through this all the time. I'm going to look back and really <laughs> look back at my life and say, you know, mm. where, where did I hesitate? And my God, on in that moment, wouldn't I give? What would I give to have one more hour, one more day, one more year? You know, to make a difference and have an impact and leave my ripples in this world. That day is today. Mm-hmm. We all have that opportunity, whether that's on the micro, on the macro, macro, whatever, wherever your stage of development is, that's possible. So you know, I just I love life. 
you know, and I believe in life. I'm a hopeful man, you know, because when I go out into the natural world, what I see is life regenerating itself, Mm -hmm. right? Life keeps coming. And when I surrender to my purpose, my path, when I see others do the same, what happens inside of our hearts, inside of our spirits? Regeneration. You know, I can't help but to be a hopeful man when I see everywhere around me, when we say yes to life, good things emerge. So that's my, my message to all of our listeners right now is say yes. You know, if that's with me, then great. If it's with somebody else, that's great too. Mm-hmm. But say yes. All right. Well, I'm going to go on record and say, make sure you say yes to Tim <laughs> from my own experience, right? Because that's the, the greatest gift we can ever give um, to anyone is our own sharing of our own experience. Mm-hmm. And the greatest disservice I feel like we could ever give Mm. is trying to speak from unearned wisdom or speak from something that we don't really know, but we think Mm -hmm. might be good for others. So what I can share, man, that Mm. I'm so grateful for with every single cell in my body, like from my toes to my teeth, Mm. uh, is thank you, Mm. you know, for the ultimate gratitude of reconnecting me, not just to dissolve the veil between Mm -hmm. myself and, and mother, but also to really come back home to me. Yeah. You know, for a long time in my life, I was searching, searching, seeking, scratching. Yeah. And I still will, but my search is more at the pace of nature. Yeah. Because when I go and I take intentional time to be outside and to be with the earth, yesterday, Carrie and I walked with our bare feet. We took photos of her and her pregnancy and just like feeling the natural discomfort of that and then relaxing into discomfort of just being barefoot and having it be wet with mosquitoes and all these things. This is who we are. Yeah. So, so thank you, man, for, for in part and parcel connecting me back to a part of self that really I wasn't truly aware of. And that is the greatest gift that I can give to wellness force. So with all that said at the nexus of everything that we experience in life, which is physical, emotional, spiritual, and, and even financial, you know, the, the, the quadrant yes. plus one, how would you, at this current level of your development, the father you are, the business owner you are, everything you're doing, how would you define wellness? What is your definition of living life well? Well, first, let me say you're welcome. Uh, it's been an absolute honor to support you on your journey. It's good to Josh. receive that from you, man. Yeah. Um, how would I define wellness? Oh, my gosh. That, another big question. Uh, well, I do uh, hold the, the four realms of life as sacred right? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And that includes a lot more. I mean, it includes our relationships. It includes our finances. It includes our connection to the earth. Um, but wellness is, um, is a state of being where I'm living in integrity with all four of those realms, right? Like I am taking care of my body. I am listening to my body. I'm experiencing physical health, right? Um, I am looking at what I'm putting into my body. I'm looking at what's coming out of my body. Uh, I am looking at, I'm in a state of wellness with my, my mind. You know, I'm using my mind for what it's designed for. You know, uh, we, talk, we didn't talk too much about meditation, but a big part of the medicine of the quest is learning to cultivate the quiet mind, mm-hmm. the sacred silence. Right, and I've always always taught by my elders that the power of the mind is about not about you know the insanity of of the thought monkey that we all experience these days, but the true power of the mind is the ability to hold a vision, uh, an image of the future, and 
and see see that take uh, you know take shape in this world manifest in a beautiful way. Also, the power of the mind is learning to quiet the mind, and when we quiet our mind, a whole doorway opens up to an entirely new realm of connection, spiritual connection. Right. Um, so the body, the mind. Wellness of mind, wellness of emotions, you know, this whole piece of emotional maturity. I, I, I would say wellness of emotions is, yes, awareness of, acceptance of, and healthy expression of our emotions. Um, and sharing that, you know, that, what does that imply? That implies relationships, healthy relationships. Does it mean that conflict never happens? No, of course not. You know, the, the goal of life and relationships isn't to avoid conflict. It's to learn to relate with, with that in a good way and see relationships and conflict as teacher just as much as pain, you know, pain in relationships as teacher. And then spiritual well-being, you know, to recognize that um, we are of this earth and our spiritual connection stems from it. We are of this earth and it matters, right? That that And that's a practice, just like, we eat food every day, you know, practicing staying in right relationship with the earth personally and in community. Uh, And then the spiritual wellness in terms of the ongoing journey of seeking our purpose, our vision in life. And I never, you know, I mean, again, my experience is I oftentimes don't know in the moment. I still don't know. I've 20 years in, you know, I still oftentimes don't quite know. Is this it? Is it not? I think it is. I slow down and more and more I'm able to feel it and, 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 get, and get more connected there. But it, typically it's still in hindsight, you know, until I'm very, very clear about it. But I know that the journey of life means continuing to seek my, my purpose and not settling for the status quo, continuing to seek that vision, um, not settling for, for being in a rut. And push my edge in a healthy way, not into crazy overwhelm, although sometimes that happens. <laughs> um, and working and giving everything I have to uh, to that vision. You know, maybe the last thought I'll share on this. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Abraham Maslow and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Sure. Um, and the, his first iteration, that's most well known, puts self actualization at the top, right, with the basic physical needs on the bottom, and then you know, social emotional needs kind of in between. And boy, did that always push my buttons that the very top of, uh, of that whole pyramid was self-actualization. I mean, <laughs> if that's not a concept rooted in the disconnection of modern society, I don't know what is, you know? And what I later learned is that he spent time with an indigenous tribe. I think it was the flathead people of Western Montana, which is fairly close to where I'm at. And he redid it. He, he, he made an addendum to that. Oh. And he actually voiced that that is not the ultimate uh, goal of life. But the ultimate goal of life is to give oneself to the land and to one's people. And that was like brought so much hope for me because that's always how I see it. The goal of my life isn't to actualize myself and be the best I can be. The goal is, oh, I want to lay on my deathbed and look back and say, I gave every ounce of my life energy to my people and to that, to the land, mm-hmm. you know, like then I think I can die fulfilled. Mm. Tim, I got so much respect for you, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being here in my home. And the one thing I'll leave people with before we give people a place where they can go and experience this, yeah. uh, is this, this phrase that was told to me on the podcast four years ago by a man named Ted Rice. And he, he was sharing with me, you know, the graveyard 
is the richest place yeah. in the world. Because in the graveyard, there are trillions of dollars of great ideas, purposes, and dreams totally unfulfilled. And so let this be a beacon for all of us to not like white knuckle and, and strive, but like to really ground into what your purpose actually is and have the courage to not die with it. And that's really what we've explored today, man. So purposemountain.com is that's where it. people go. Absolutely. Um, but just share with people, there's many different aspects of your work. So there's group and individual and there's also the the quest. Mm -hmm. But did I miss anything? Like, what are the other ways that people engage? Yeah. Also, also younger uh, dads with with sons mm -hmm. uh, for your wilderness school. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of what we're talking about today, PurposeMountain.com is definitely the place to check out and get on my list there. I do offer one-on-one -on -one mentoring uh, in person and remotely uh, on the phone, uh, as well as in-person Vision Quest. Um, those are the two big offerings at Purpose Mountain. And then I also run the Wilderness School, which I referenced a few times. That's Twin Eagles Wilderness School, uh, www.twineagles.org. And my wife, Janine, and I have been running that for yeah over 15 years. Um, that's much more locally based, working on cultivating that place-based community Yes, up in Sandpoint. So we're serving like Sandpoint, Idaho, Spokane, Washington, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, um, and so we run tons of programs year round, youth programs, adult programs. We've got a big giant summer camp season that's about to start up. Yeah, I do father-son wilderness programs that are actually really, really um, uh, increasing in popularity and guys are coming out from all around doing uh, doing those. What's the um, earliest age that kids can be to? Six. Six years old. Okay, yep. so I got six years <laughs> yeah. and I can come bring Nova to the school. There you go, man. That's exactly. going to be a cool moment, man. Yeah. Yeah, I really yeah. look forward to that. Anything else uh, that you can direct people to? I also know, you know, it was helpful for me when mm. I first met you was the purpose discovery kit yes. that you have on your website. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. even if, if obviously if you're feeling the, the call, answer the call. But if you're curious about the call, Tim has a purpose discovery kit on his website. Yeah. So just share a little bit about that too. Yeah, yeah. That's like a, I don't know, it's a few, it's a PDF uh, workbook uh, I created um, just to help guide people through a little, get, get a little taste of the work, you know, connecting to the earth, connecting to their, uh, their soul, their purpose. Um, and so it's a free download. People just hop on there and, uh, and grab that. And yeah, I have, I've been doing more and more podcasts, you know, you and Aubrey and Ben Greenfield and, and a bunch of different folks. So people can, uh, can get online and search and, you know, hear me speak more in, in other podcasts as well. But I got to say, man, this is like so cool. And in, in many ways, this is kind of my dream come true because for all the podcasts I've done, it's rare that I have the host who has actually personally experienced the full depth of my work. You know, and, and that obviously is the case here. So I just want to say it's an honor for me, Josh, to have been here and uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful to connect here with you in your home. Thank you, Tim, for being a part of my growth. Yeah. And you guys, we are wishing you so much love and wellness. PurposeMountain.com. We're talking about this in the Wellness Force group, WellnessForce.com. So until Tim and I see you guys next week. Or maybe Tim can be a Facebook Live. I feel like there's all kinds of good things that are going to come from this. I'm, I'm seeing things in the future, depending on how many people want to engage. Maybe we could do something really special absolutely. with Wellness Force yeah, and have absolutely. an outing in nature. Mm -hmm. If you guys want that, let me know in the comments. So until Tim and I see you again, uh, we're both wishing you love and wellness.
This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric lemon balm and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings, especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is gonna allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, Give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that. As far as I've heard, 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. Get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.